Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. Acts chapter 3, verses 1 to 26. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at three in the afternoon. Now, a man crippled from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, silver or gold, I do not have, but what I have, I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. While the beggar held on to Peter and John, all the people were astonished and came running to them in the place called Solomon's Colonnade. When Peter saw this, he said to them, Men of Israel, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness we had made this man walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus. You handed him over to be killed, and you disowned him before Pilate, though he had decided to let him go. You disowned the holy and righteous one, and asked that a murderer be released to you. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses of this. By faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has given this complete healing to him, as you can all see. Now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did your leaders, But this is how God fulfilled what he had foretold through all the prophets, saying that his Christ would suffer. Repent, then, and turn to God, so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord, and that he may send you the Christ who has been appointed for you, even Jesus. He must remain in heaven until the time comes for God to restore everything, as he promised long ago through his holy prophets. For Moses said, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own people. You must listen to everything he tells you. Anyone who does not listen to him will be completely cut off from among his people. Indeed, all the prophets from Samuel on, as many as have spoken, have foretold these days. And you are heirs of the prophets and of the covenant God made with your fathers. He said to Abraham, Through your offspring all peoples on earth will be blessed. When God raised up his servant, he sent him first to you to bless you by turning each of you from your wicked ways. As we stand, uh, let's pray together.
And Heavenly Father, we do pray uh, what we've just sung. And uh, we pray that you would teach us uh, through this passage in Acts chapter 3. Uh, to teach us to love your sacred word and to, to trust it. To trust you through it. And very much to view our, our saviour Jesus through these words. And we ask it in his name. Amen. Uh, well, please do sit down, and um, if you could be turning back to Acts chapter 3, that's page 1094 in the Church Bible, so that would be very helpful. And um, there is a, an outline amongst the bits of paper you were given on the way in, so you can use that to follow along or to, to make notes on if you wish. Uh, when my dad was a teenager, he, he tells me that every Easter he would never eat his Easter eggs on the day. Uh, he would save them till later to savour that idea, savour the prospect of eating them sometime in the future. And he'd save them for so long, in fact, almost to the next Easter, uh, that the chocolate went mouldy. And it sounds like he, he did this more than once, which is interesting. That same principle um, later became part of our family life. Uh, so on Christmas Day, we, we all had to wait to open e- any presents to the afternoon, at the very earliest, at the very earliest. I thought every family did that. I was quite surprised when I discovered that wasn't the case. You know, I think it's quite remarkable I come out as normal as I have. <laughs> so there's the principle, and some people apply this principle, don't they, to, to other things, so to, to eating, for example. Uh, you can see that moving things around on their plates and saving their favourite bits till last. I've never really understood that. You know, what, if, what if the fire alarm goes off? What if there's a flash flood? My thought is, eat it. You know, the opportunity is there. There it is. Get it down. Who knows what might happen before the meal is up? Now, I guess there might be a place sometimes uh, for delayed gratification. Uh, But there are times when it simply becomes absurd. And I want you to imagine this morning two unopened Christmas presents under the Christmas tree. No one seems to want to claim them, even though they look pretty impressive. This is delayed gratification taken to an extreme. And the first of those presents has a label which reads this. It says, for the person who is not one of God's people, but could be one of God's people... This is a gift from God. And the second one reads this. For the person who is one of God's people, who wants to help others become members of God's people, this is everything you'll ever need, a toolkit for you to do that. So there are the presents waiting for us, the gifts waiting for us, and it's 11.35pm on Christmas Day. Now I know that there will be some people here this morning who needs, still need to open that first present. And I also know that there are many, many, perhaps more people here this morning, who definitely need to open the second. And it's my job this morning to explain what's in each of those gifts and to encourage you to open them. And I'm going to do that with the help of Acts at chapter 3. I certainly hope that we're going to see very clearly what's inside that first gift from this chapter. This event that we're going to be reading about, this healing of a crippled man at the temple, and what Peter says afterwards, will show us the way to find uh, what's in that gift, and to find, indeed, the blessing of God in that gift. 
I hope we're going to see, therefore, that as I put on the handout, these things happen so that people at the time would see the risen Jesus at work and, and so listen to his apostle and to listen to, to Jesus' call to turn back to God and then, to, of course, to find the blessing they've been promised. So it's very simple. Open the presents, says Peter, and the blessing will be yours. And yours too, if you've never opened this gift. But we're also going to find out what's in that second present. I think we'll see that Luke's purpose in carefully recording these events and words for us is, is this, to give us confidence, to give us confidence in his apostles and what they testified to, that Jesus is still at work and still calling people through uh, their testimony to turn to God. Because of those apostles chosen and accredited by God We have everything we need to help others to find the blessing of God too. The apostles then are the key to finding the blessing that comes from God through Jesus. We're going to look at that in two parts this morning. So verses 1 to 10, which is all about looking at the apostles, but seeing Jesus at work. And then 11 to 26, which is all about listening to the apostles, but then hearing Jesus, hearing Jesus' call uh, to turn back to God. So first then, verses 1 to 10. Look at the apostles and see Jesus at work. Look at the apostles and see Jesus at work. Here's the scene that Luke places in front of us. And right in the centre of it is a man who was born crippled. It's interesting. We never actually get to know his name. I'll come back to that later. And as we look on, we can see this is very much a real person in history. Luke tells us very carefully the time and the place this all happened. It's three in the afternoon, and it's at the temple gate called Beautiful. But as we're looking at this scene, there's very little that's beautiful about this man who seems barely alive at all. We all know, I think, that life should be full of promise and potential, such that we go into it with expectations and dreams and ambitions, and uh, those to fulfill. But this is a man so far short of a full experience of life that all those expectations have been whittled away until there's virtually nothing left for him. Other men might expect a home or a family, a livelihood, a community to be a part of. But this man, this man has none of that. Every hope for him pretty much has faded away. His disabilities even exclude him from going into the temple courts well, he might at least hear the promises of God spoken to him. And all his neighbours seem to be doing for him is carrying him to the gate in the hope that somebody else might look after him. And the only hope he seems to have left is that someone might give him enough small change for him to survive the day. It's interesting, isn't it? Imagine uh, many of us, or some of us at least, will have come to church this morning feeling pretty low, feeling kind of rock bottom. Well, the scriptures are are helpful, aren't they? Here is someone even lower still. And it does seem as he's sitting there that people are walking past him at the gate, as people do, pretending he's not there. You might imagine his his head is bowed down. He's uh, staring at the ground as he mumbles his sort of half-hearted request for some help. But then something 
does happen. Something does change in his experience. Then come Peter and John. And Peter doesn't pretend he's not there and neither does John. And they stop and they look straight at him and Peter says, look at us. And and you can just see and feel the man's expectations rising there in verse five. As he looks up, I wonder, is it, are his expectations then dashed for a moment, as Peter says, verse 6, silver or gold have I not? I don't have. Well, if that's true, that wasn't for long. We quickly see that these man's hopes and expectations back in verse 5 for a bit of small change, in fact, were too low. They were too small. It's probably true of all of us, isn't it, that our expectations with regard to God are too low, too small. Peter says, Silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have, which is far more valuable, I will give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. And suddenly, at that very moment, his feet and ankles, they've never borne his weight before, and suddenly they are strong. And he jumps to his feet. I wonder if you can imagine witnessing that at the time. This man has not been able to move properly. Suddenly, actually, jumping and uh, now he can go into the temple courts and praise God and so that's exactly what he does leaping and jumping around the apostles like some sort of overexcited puppy I wonder if you can now see why it's it's not important we never discover this man's name and that's because the only name which matters here the only name which Peter and John care about The only name which this man comes to care about and trust is the name of Jesus. You can see it multiple times in our passage, both here and as Peter explains things down in verse 16. By faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and and know was made strong. It's Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has given this complete healing to him, as you can all see. In other words, this healing is not about this, really about this particular man, it is about a different man, the man Jesus from Nazareth, whom God has made both Lord and Christ. It is by his name, his power and authority, that this has all happened. You see how it works? We look at the man healed, we look at the apostles, Peter and John, they encourage us to do that, they say, look at us. But what do we see? We see Jesus still at work. It's interesting, this healing is very, very similar to one that uh, Luke has told us about at the beginning of his gospel, the healing of a paralytic in Luke, chap- in Luke chapter five. Those are deliberate parallels. In other words, here we have it again. It's done through Peter, but it's still Jesus at work. But at work doing what? Now here's something very interesting about uh, the miracles um, that Jesus does, either by his own hand or through his, his apostles. I wonder if you ever thought about this, the kind of miracles that he does. And it's striking, isn't it? They're not actually the most visually stri- spectacular miracles he could have done. He doesn't do any Superman-like flying. He doesn't sort of suddenly turn invisible or burst into flames and then stop burning or anything like that. He doesn't crush buildings or mountains with his uh, wave of his hand. Uh, All those things that you'd find in your average superhero movie. He could have done all of those things, but he has chosen not to. What he has chosen to do 
is to do those miracles that will teach us something, something that will illustrate what God is doing through Jesus to bring about a spectacular victory over death. That's not to say, and it is spectacular, especially once we've understood it, it is spectacular. Um, And he's giving us, through these miracles, a spectacular glimpse into the future, a future where the lame will leap, as Isaiah said. It's the future that Peter talks about down in verses 19 and 21, the times of refreshing, the time for God to restore everything. See, like many other miracles in the New Testament, this is what you might call a resurrection miracle. It's showing us someone in a state of near death, taken by the hands, and then literally lifted back to life again. So what's happening here does point us away from this particular man, away from the apostles even. We look at this, and we see Jesus at work. And what we're seeing as we see Jesus' work is a glimpse of the future that he is bringing about. I hope that helps you to understand what the miracles are are here for in the New Testament. Now, the miracles in the Bible, I think, probably used to bother people far more than they seem to today. I can remember that. I can remember this myself uh, 20 years ago before I became a Christian, saying, you know, I'm quite interested in Christianity, but I don't like all this kind of stuff. I don't like this sort of supernatural baggage that seems to go with it. So I was thinking, you know, that's just too weird. I don't want to have that. So I was thinking, looking at the miracles and I was thinking, well, that's supernatural, that's strange, that's not normal. But I hope you can see as we're looking at this that actually I had got that completely the wrong way round and we are tempted often to get this completely the wrong way round. You see, as we're, at, as we're looking at a miracle in the Bible, we're not actually seeing something weird amongst something that's normal. We're actually seeing something normal in the midst of something strange, weird. Think about it, it's actually the world around us as we know it, everyday life, that shows us in death and suffering something abnormal, something dysfunctional, something even unnatural as it groans under the shadow of death and suffering. What the miracles do is actually show us normality. They show us things as they should be. There's another question that might have occurred to you as we were reading this together. And this question used to bother people perhaps more uh, 20 years ago uh, than it does today also. Uh, The question that might have occurred to you is, is Luke telling us this kind of thing, this, this miracle, uh, so that uh, all of us, not just the apostles, should be doing, the, doing these kinds of things, these kind of miracles, to show people Jesus at work. Well, it's true, some Christians have indeed uh, thought exactly that. So back in the 1970s and 80s, for example, there was much talk of what was called power evangelism, doing miracles as a way of authenticating the Christian message. Now, I think all of that has somewhat died away, not completely, but somewhat died away. Mostly, I think, because uh, however enthusiastic you might be about, about that idea, however pumped up you might be about that idea, uh, they simply weren't doing anything like as dramatic as the miracle we see here in Acts chapter 3 or elsewhere in the New Testament. And there was a lot of disappointment 
And suddenly Christianity at times was brought into disrepute as fraud and fabrication was exposed. Now I need to be clear here, of course, and let me, I'm, not, I'm not saying that I think that God doesn't work through the miraculous today. And actually the book of Acts is very helpful to, for us to get a grip on this and to understand this well. Uh, what we find in Acts is that miracles happen for two reasons. Uh, later in Acts we, we can see that in part what they're doing is that as the gospel word goes out is, is signifying the lordship of Jesus spread, spreading into new territory. So in places that were um, previously driven by idolatry and the occult, superstition, the miracles then declare Jesus is Lord. They declare those things are not Lord's, Jesus is Lord. And that kind of pattern as the gospel spreads seems to be one that has been repeated throughout church history and I think probably continues today as the gospel takes root in new places. But actually the most important reason for miracles in the book of Acts is a different one. It's the one that we find here in chapter three and that is to authenticate people, to authenticate the apostles and therefore their message. That's what we've got going on here. This is all about God accrediting people. Actually, he's already done. This is, this is amazing that God has already done this with Jesus himself. If you turn back a page to Acts chapter two, and verse 22, Peter said this about Jesus. Uh, Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited to you, how? By miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. The miracles accredit him, therefore listen to him, respond to him. Well now, back in Acts chapter three, uh, we've got the same pattern happening for Jesus' apostles, Peter and John. This is accrediting the apostles. Uh, later on in, in the New Testament, the apostle Paul makes it very clear when he says, this is 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12, that miracles are the things which mark an apostle, authenticate an apostle. I spent a little time yesterday watching um, some videos of, uh, of, of Benny Hinn on YouTube that some of you may know already. Benny Hinn has been a televangelist now for some decades and he's well known for his faith healing ministry. Now I have to say many things went through my mind as I was watching uh, those videos. One of the better things that went through my mind as I was watching those videos was this. Thank goodness I don't have to be like that. Thank goodness I don't have to be like that. So thank goodness I didn't have to come here this morning and put on a show for you, a performance. You know, I don't have to kind of strut around at the front here doing this and that. I don't have to have a, you know, a vast team of uh, people working for for me uh, to uh, filter out the right people to come to the front. I don't have to do anything, in fact, to authenticate the truth of what I'm saying to you this morning. That's true for me standing here, but it's also true for you going out into this coming week and into this Passion for Life year. We're all nervous about how people are going to respond, but none of us have to do anything to authenticate the truth of what we're going to say. 
You see, because if we're simply doing what we've been called to do, which is to pass on the apostolic message, the gospel message of the apostles, well, look here at Acts 3. That message has already been authenticated. It doesn't need any more authentication. It's all been done for us. Now, that's very um, helpful, I think. But of course, once we've seen that, once we've seen that the apostles have been accredited to us in this way, once they've been authenticated, absolutely, we do. it is incumbent on us to listen to what they have to say. That's the whole point of it, really. This is the next point. Verses 11 to 26. Listen to the apostles. Listen to the apostles and hear Jesus. Hear Jesus calling Now, the pattern in Peter's speech here is very much like the one we saw last week in Acts chapter 2. You might remember in Acts (coughs) chapter 2, Peter was also in explaining an amazing event, that um, bold speaking in foreign languages which happened when the Holy Spirit was poured out. Peter explained that Holy Spirit was poured out. He was poured out by Jesus. Uh, But as Peter took them to Jesus, he was also very clear and remembered, this is the man you killed. You can see it's quite similar here with the explanation in verses 11 through to 16. Do not think, says Peter, that this amazing thing you've just seen there, a man crippled from birth, raised up and jumping around, do not think that it's because of us. No, this is a work of God. The God who promised you blessing through Abraham, Isaac and Jacob is now showing you a glimpse of that blessing through the work of his servant Jesus. It is... Peter goes on to say, through faith in the name of Jesus, that this man has been healed. But once again, you can see Peter reminding them about what they did to this this man, Jesus. And if anything, what he says is even stronger than what he said before. You can see a whole list of it. Uh, Halfway through verse 13, for example, you handed him over to be killed. You disowned him before Pilate. Verse 14, you disowned the holy and righteous one. Verse 15, you killed the author of life. That's probably the climax of it, isn't it? You killed the author of life. But God raised him from the dead, and we, says Peter, are witnesses of this. And uh, Jesus remains as powerful as ever as the author of life today, as you've seen demonstrated in this miracle, this life-giving miracle before you. I suppose it is perhaps the worst mistake anyone could ever make, or the, the worst crime, in fact, that anyone could do to receive the author of life into your midst and then to kill him. You might remember in Acts chapter 2 that Luke told us that the people were cut to the heart when they heard what had happened, when they were reminded what they'd done. Well, if they were then, then they most certainly would have been on this occasion too. But I'm kind of aware that you might be struggling this morning to feel the weight of that. Um, after all, that was, that was those people. That was different people. You know, that was back then, back there. But if you are thinking that and not applying this to yourself, think, think of this. The people Peter is speaking to on this occasion... The people he's speaking to were better prepared than anyone else in history to receive the author of life. They've been prepared through the promises of God over a thousand years. 
those promises to Abraham, Isaac and Jacob built into their fa- the fabric of their lives and we have to ask ourselves if they failed to receive him, if they rejected him and even killed him, what does that say about the rest of us? You see, the fact remains that the, what happened is that the author of life came to humanity, came to us all, to those who had given, to whom he had given life, and they killed him. We killed him. We are part of that crime against divinity, whether we like it or not. So that's Peter's explanation for what these people have just seen. But probably the really remarkable thing about this speech in Acts chapter 3 is, is how it ends. You can see that, it, like many sermons, it ends with an exhortation to respond. <coughs> but perhaps it's not quite the expectation, uh, exhortation we're expecting. It's not the kind of harsh rebuke we might, have, might expect given what Peter has just said. Instead, what we'll find as we finish this morning is that this exhortation is in fact dripping with kindness and with grace. So what we see in verses 17 through to 26. It is an exhortation simply to change your mind to turn and receive the blessing you have been promised. And just look at the tone of what Peter says. Yes, verse 19, you do need to change your mind about Jesus. Yes, you do need to turn back to God. But to receive what? A rebuke? A reprimand? No. Peter says to have your sins wiped out. To participate in the times of refreshing. To know Jesus through whom in the future God will restore everything. Destroying death and suffering forever. Just as you've been promised through the prophets you will receive Jesus, who is the prophet promised through Moses. So yes, you do need to listen to him. Yes, it's true, verse 23, you cannot be a part of God's future if you refuse to listen to him. But just listen to him. His words are not harsh words to you. He is announcing the coming of the blessing of God that was promised to your forefathers. That blessing that will come first to Israel and then out into all the world. And Peter's saying to his brothers and sisters, he wants you to experience it first. Verse 26, when God raised up his servant, he sent him first to you, to bless you by turning each of you from your wicked ways. Now Luke has already illustrated this kind of unexpected kindness in his gospel. It's part of the famous story about the prodigal son, which uh, probably most of us know. Uh, the son who has abandoned his father and run away eventually turns back in desperation, thinking perhaps, you know, perhaps he might give me a job or something. But when he returns, what he gets instead is something very, very different, something very unexpected. He gets his father running out to him, and then he gets a celebration feast. It's funny, we struggle with that idea of a wholehearted reconciliation, don't we? I, I think when our relationships go wrong, in marriages, for example, we, we generally don't expect too much, for, for at first at least, from any reconciliation. Uh, you will know in that kind of situation that, that there is that temptation, especially if you're the wronged party, you know, just to leave things a little frosty for a bit, a little tense, 
just for a little bit, just to remind the other person about what they did. All of us do that, don't we? That's our temptation when it comes to reconciliation. But that is not God's way. That is not God's way. God's way when he, op- when he asks us back, when he calls us back, is to throw his arms open wide and to throw a great party. So let me remind you about the, that first unopened present. Remember, this one's the one with the label, which reads, for the person who is not one of God's people, but could be one of God's people, this is a gift from God. Uh, if anyone was here from, from any sort of Jewish background, then Peter's words would have spoken very directly to, to you this morning. Look, this is, the, this is what was promised to your forefathers. Uh, take it. This is the moment. But even if you don't come from that kind of background, I hope you can see that this is still an invitation for you too. Look at the end of verse 25. The promise of blessing Peter's been reminding us of is not just the blessing that's going to spread just to the nation of Israel. It's going to go to all people on earth. So if that's you this morning, this is the moment to seize hold of that. This is the time to open it. We know what's inside now. And I imagine that uh, with it would be a handwritten note from Jesus himself saying something like this. saying, welcome back. Welcome back forever. And I really do mean forever. Uh, But even if you're you're thinking, um, well, I do see that. And I do know that gift and I have opened it and praise God it's wonderful well there's still that other present waiting for you there's the second present the label read this for the person who is one of God's people who wants to help others to become members of God's people this is everything you'll ever need and actually from this chapter alone I think we can work out what's going to be inside this one too inside this one I'm pretty sure what we would find would be a bible And perhaps there'll be another note saying, uh, you know, I know you've already got one of these. But this is to remind you that that you already have what you need. Why would there be a Bible in there? Well, because in the Old Testament, we have the promises of God. And as we tell people the promises of God, as we've seen Peter do this morning, uh, we'll be pointing them to Jesus. And there in the Bible in the New Testament, we'd have the testimony of the apostles a testimony that's accredited by God through acts like the one we've just read about in Acts chapter three, absolutely guaranteed so that we know if we get people to listen to the apostles, they will indeed be hearing Jesus himself. They'll be hearing that personal call to turn back to God and find immeasurable blessing. We have all we need All of which is especially good news for me uh, coming up here this morning. Um, As I was saying before, it means that I don't have to come here on a Sunday and put on a show for you. I don't have to perform. Uh, All of that's been done already. All the accreditation of this has been done already. It also means that I don't have to make up a message. I don't have to compose it, construct it out of scratch. 
because I've already got it. I do feel that, sorry for preachers who feel they have to, have to do that to compose something new every week. You see, we've already got the authentic message. It's, it's here in front of us. I just have to pass it on as faithfully as I can. So it's very good news for me, but it's also good news for all of us as we go out into the world. It means we can go out fully prepared, fully equipped. Um, In weather like we're getting at the moment, we all know how good it can feel to go out fully prepared and equipped with all the the right gear. Likewise, as we go out into this week, into this year, in fact, this Passion for Life year, we can trust that Jesus still works and speaks through his apostles. And we can be sure that we're going out with the message of life, with the hope of life, fully equipped to do that task. Well, let's pray for that. Our Heavenly Father, uh, we've heard much about the name of Jesus and the power of the name of Jesus to bring about immeasurable blessing. We thank you for the glimpse of that blessing, that foresight into the future, that glimpse into the future that we get through the miracle that we've looked at this morning. We thank you also that that authenticates what the apostles tell us, that we can trust what they say, that there's no need to invent anything new, and that we have all we need to take that hope of life out into the world. Please help us to do that with great boldness, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.